Hello and welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. This is a show that talks about bikepacking, adventuring, and the cool people who participate. On this episode, I have back Billy Rice. Um, again, I'm in his home and I'm very happy to tell you that the audio doesn't suck this time because I figured out how to use my dang equipment and that's nice. While it's great that I have Billy back on the show and I'm honored that he came back, I am bummed that we are not going to be talking about his experiences on the Tour Divide or his yo-yo with his 16-year-old daughter or any of the experiences that he had on other races or camping or his uh, you know, interactions with wildlife. No, 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 no. Because this episode, we have to take the time to address what I'm calling the drama divide. Because if you watched or kept up at all with the Tour Divide, you know that even before it started, there was just drama. Drama, drama, drama. Everywhere you look, someone's talking shit. Someone's got an opinion. Anyway, and I like really debated on whether or not I wanted to say anything or address it at all. Like all the drama that was going on online. I only made one comment. I brought it up on the Sofian uh, podcast. But I, I said, it's his hel- head, it's his decision, referring to his decision not to wear a helmet. And that's the only thing I said. Because not only do I hate internet drama, it's just dumb and unproductive. How many of the world, how many of the world's problems have been solved globally, locally, whatever, by a Facebook bitch fest? What the fuck is getting done on Facebook? Nothing. People are wasting time. So while I do have opinions, that is not the form in which I want to uh, debate ideas. So part of my reason for, I mean, I'm sitting here now. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, don't just <laughs> just fucking throw this one in the trash. Because I really don't want to get into it. Um, but part of the reason I am, or a big part of the reason I am, is because the podcasting platform is one that allows for people to um, sess out ideas and topics. You know, you're able to actually have a dialogue with someone and see what they're thinking and talk to them. And when you're on the internet, it's just difficult, man. It's just, everybody just wants to fight. You know, you come in with your position and you're not there to hear anybody else. You just want to see who, who can internet shout the loudest. And so, you know, that's not what this episode is. Um, Billy happened to be at the Brush Mountain Lodge during some of the drama. And he happens to live in my hometown and he happens to be a six-time tour divide veteran with some perspective and an ultra endurance cycling coach. So, um, and he's actually, you know, he was in inspired to ride. So like if I was going to reach out to anybody about commenting about some of the drama that happened, he's a no brainer. This guy, um, has real world experience. And like I said, he was there. So, you know, he and I talked and, the purpose of this episode is was never to be negative, 
but hopefully to just get some better information, have an actual conversation and um, add, you know, some context to some of the drowned drama that was surrounding the tour divide. Um, all right. Well, that's enough of that. Um, I'm going to be switching things up. I think going forward in regards to me politely begging for money. Um, I'm just like y'all, you know, I, I listen to podcasts and you hear them beg for money every single time or advertising or whatever it is. Like everybody's peddling something and you're just like, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, get to the point. Right. I get it. And it occurred to me that if I put my ads or my begging for money at the end of the podcast, there's my dog. Hey, Panda. If, if I do my promo at the end that I'm going to be hitting my target market. I mean, the people who are listening all the way to the end and are really digging, um, you know, the episode and the content, and everything, those are the ones that are most likely going to like kick a few dollars my way. So, um, yeah, going forward, I think I'm just gonna, the only thing I'm going to do at the beginning of the podcast is ask for people to rate on iTunes. That's it. That's all I'm going to ask. Um, so just yesterday, Bikes or Death hit number 17 in the outdoor section for all Apple podcasts. 17. Um, and it's consistently ranked in the top 100 of the sports and recreation category on iTunes. So, um, yeah, like all those, the, all those ratings, they matter. And um, it's just great to see so many people getting access to the show uh, because y'all are doing such a great job supporting it. So thanks again to everybody who has. Uh, we're up to 96 reviews on iTunes. So we are like just touching that hundred. Um, all right. Like I said, I'm going to shut up. If you want to find out how you can support the show, listen all the way to the end and you'll hear me tell you all the wonderful ways. But for now, here's Billy. All right, all right. I'm back here today with Billy Rice uh, for round two. This is actually the first time I've had a uh, a, a reoccurring guest come back. So, what? Yeah, this is exciting. I'm so honored. We're breaking new grounds, man. Breaking new grounds. Yeah, so I reached out to Billy because uh, in the bikepacking world in the last 30 days, there's been a lot going on between the Tour Divide and the American Trail Race and Trans Am. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, but specifically with the tour divide, we've just seen a lot of what I call drama and, um, Billy having been there at the Brush Mountain Lodge and being a six time veteran of the event, I thought would be a great person to offer some context to just a lot of stuff going on in the industry. Um, and we're both on the same page. This, this is not going to be a bitch fest. This is only a opportunity to add more information and context to the divide and maybe what some of those racers were going through. Um, I just think it's good to like combat poor information with better information. Yeah. You know, I can tell you the internet is a tough place for sharing information. Um, Right. Yeah. It was, 
Yeah, man, it really is. And I, and I just think the nature of social networking in general um, on the online forum really kind of just kind of, it almost predisposes people to drama long before they realize that they've fallen into it. Well, I don't know a whole lot about it, but if if you believe that the algorithms and everything with Facebook and Instagram are designed to cause controversy and to get you engaged and hooked, then yeah, it's easy to think that you're going to fall into that, that trap. And I, it's just something that I've, I personally don't like just my personal opinion. That is not the way that I like to communicate ideas and have conversations about important topics. Um, you know, that, or you look at TV when you get a 20 or 30 second, you know, quick opportunity to just share an idea real quick. And that's all you get is that one opportunity. Complex ideas, uh, deserve and require a lot more information and, and going back and forth with ideas to figure out what's a good idea and what's not a good idea. You know, it's not rocket science. Right. Right. So anyway, but before we get into all the drama, What's new with Billy? What's going on in the world? Because I got to be honest, dude, you blew minds up last time. If you haven't listened to episode, <laughs> it's number two episode. The number two episode I recorded was with Billy, Billy Rice. Uh, go back. It's long, but dude, he goes deep. And I've gotten like so many messages from people who were like, I had to listen to that three times, rewind, take notes, write it. You know what and I'm I saying? And I hated that interview too, because it was, man, I just scratched the surface. Yeah, like, I know. So many... I said that in the intro is like, we just scratched, yeah. just nicked the surface of everything that's in your brain. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I don't know. We should start with some of the, the latest news headlines. Yeah. Let's hear uh, it, man. In, What's going on? The science world today. So, a lot of people probably heard because it made like every major news network in the world um, that the U.S. military as a whole um, endorsed publicly the keto diet. Um, right. Like what's probably the singular most controversial diet ever. If you listen to that episode, I talk a little bit about it. I talk about it all over the Internet. I, I've. Um, been in some form of ketosis in and out um, at different commitment levels over the last five years. I, I get it. Um, and now the military um, is endorsing it, not just like for their military population as a whole, but specifically U.S. Navy SEALs and frontline combat troops. If we just go real quick, if yeah. you go back to the history of the ketogenic diet, it, uh, it began with kids with epilepsy. Um, over the last hundred years or so. So kids that had uncontrolled seizures um, that were either not responsive to typical medications or the side effects of anti-seizure medications, which are pretty substantial, um, they didn't like. Well, they could just put them on ketogenic diets uh, and their seizures essentially would go away. The U.S. Navy, a long time ago, this is not new, um, but U.S. Navy did research on U.S. Navy divers and again, I'd have to go back and look at my dates, but literally like 20 years ago. Um, and they discovered that, that they could reduce the seizure risk in a U.S. Navy diver if they were on a ketogenic diet. Hmm. Now, you think about seizures in a diver underwater. It's fatal. All right, it's instant fatal. All right, so seizures underwater is a problem. They put <laughs> these divers on a ketogenic diet. They quit having seizures. Uh, because your brain works differently when you're keto. All right, so so now we we have 
you know, at least some scientific evidence that suggests that uh, a ketogenic diet will reduce your seizures um, and it will keep you from having seizures underwater. Well, that's great. Well, that doesn't make it great for the entire military, and that certainly doesn't make it great for U.S. Navy SEALs or frontline troops. It also doesn't make it the right diet, right? Right. Unless you don't want to have a seizure underwater. Yeah, so the question then, of course, is what changed? Right. Right, so what led the U.S. military as a whole um, to finally come around into saying, you know what, maybe all of this like glycogen-specific athletic research that we've done over the last 50 years, maybe we didn't know everything. That's a novel concept, right? Like every day I get older, I feel like I know less than I did the day before. Um, and, and I feel like we should all be like questioning all of our predisposed ideas that we have. Yeah. Simply because you're getting more information and you're questioning what you knew and it's just right. You're like, holy cow. Yeah. Of, I mean, I, I yeah. built my whole career, trained all these athletes one way. And, and now all of a sudden we found out there was a better way. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, essentially that's exactly what happened. Um, and so, Athletes, of course, have been picking up the ketogenic diet over the last five or 10 years uh, at very controversial rates with all of the old school people saying, if your heart rate's over this, you're glycolytic. If your heart rate's less than this, you're oxidative. And like, it just, but it never really made sense um, to a lot of us who have been keto for a long time that anything could be that simple. But if you look at any current athletic guidelines as to heart rate exertion, what fuel source you're using at different heart rates, what you're going to find is that the higher your heart rate, the more glycolytic you are, and you need sugar, you need carbohydrates, you need this or that or, or the other. You're going to find that over and over. Uh, and then if you're doing long, really slow workouts, keto's probably okay for you. That's what you'll find. But then, and myself, you know, most of my athletes are in ketosis at some level or, or another. I know they're in ketosis and they're out there growing their VO2 max. They're doing functional threshold intervals. They're, um, they're doing things that don't really seem to be supported with current guidelines, yet they're doing them. Right. Um, even, okay. So it's totally a cycling forum, but Rich Froning has won the CrossFit games twice, I think. Um, so top tier CrossFit games athlete, um, and recently went public a month or two ago, um, talking about his intermittent fasting diet. Hmm. He uh, was keeping that under wraps cause he didn't want anyone to know what he was doing. Oh no, no I don't know that. Okay. I, I don't okay. know when he started. I don't really have the details, but oh, okay. I thought that it was fascinating because intermittent fasting while intermittent fasting is not ketosis, they are mutually exclusive. They are different things. And some people should be keto and intermittent fast. Some people can just intermittent fast, but the metabolic advantage that you get from doing both of those things um, happen to be very similar. And so, it, you know, it was really fascinating that it, this athlete, top tier, has won the CrossFit Games, is out saying, you know what, intermittent fasting is, uh, it's amazing. And it's made him more metabolically flexible, um, and he's doing it. Yeah, because he has also realized that a lot of the old school information that we used to give it just it just doesn't work. Um, so yeah, what I guess the like you said, what's the question? What what changed? Why did or what information came to light that caused the military to be like, okay, this well that is, is it. it. That is it actually. So not so once the 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 U.S. Navy divers were on ketogenic diets, a number of very high profile seals 
took up ketogenic diets. Okay. And they were going into combat scenarios for days on end in ketogenic diets or fasting. I mean, imagine being able to go in for two or three days fighting and not have to worry about food. Right. Um, you know, I talk about, you know, doing 300 and something miles uh, in a 500 mile bike race with no food. I won that race. No food. Like, your body can change. It's, it's not what you just, you know about your body today. Uh, and the military realized looking at these active war fighters who were doing things never thought possible before, uh, and doing them very well. And they came out with the general guideline. Yeah. So one thing that I've heard is that, uh, I mean, I, I think it makes sense, right? Food slows you down. If you eat a big meal, it's your body then has to process that food and it's going to take up resources and it's going to slow you down and make you a little tired and sluggish. So is that kind of where, where ketosis comes in? Is it, it's a, or, or how do, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so break that down for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there, there's, there's a lot of different concepts that you just covered in one sentence. Oh, perfect. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we would just love to believe that it's easy. Um, so I almost have to draw some boxes here. You could eat carbohydrates and be in ketosis if you intermittent fast. What? But only enough. like to 50 grams, right? Something. Oh, unfortunately, it's just not that simple. So <laughs> when we... You can tell I've been reading on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. The reason it's not that simple is because we have to give guidelines to people who are new and who are starting. Most of the guidelines that you will find online... Um, are whether they realize it or not are aimed and targeted towards what I'll just refer to as standard Americans. You and me growing up in the eighties or whatever, like that person, um, for somebody that's been in ketosis for years or, or that's been their lifestyle, man, I, I could eat a pizza and drink beer tonight and I'll be in ketosis tomorrow because I have different, I've done the work. I have a, a yeah. different metabolic mechanism at play that I, that I've developed your body. If you're not using metabolic sources, your body's not going to waste energy maintaining the ability to do different tasks. If mm -hmm. it's never asked to do those tasks, right? Just lets it go. Yeah. Which is why you can't deadlift five, you know, 600 pounds. I don't know what you can deadlift. I'm not trying to insult you, I but I know what a deadlift is. Right. Okay. So it's like <laughs> a barbell on the ground. Right. Exactly. Right. So if you don't train to deadlift, Constantly, your your body's going to lose that ability, uh, and and it's it's no different metabolically, right? So, um, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. It's yeah, a pretty yeah. That's yeah. a simple concept, right? So the other the other big myth that we tend to believe as standard Americans is that the food you put in your mouth is just magically absorbed. That if you uh, this kind of attaches itself to the myth of calories in, calories out. As long mm -hmm. as you expend more calories than you consumed, you're good to go. Well, right. that, we know that that's crazy, but I can just put this into perspective. So I didn't know that was crazy. It's insane. So if you eat, say, 100 calories of food, yeah. do you believe that all 100 of those calories were absorbed by your body? If I'm, you would, right? I mean, just because that's what we're told. Well, but, yeah, based on every all the information that I have. Right, right. That, that's so what of I course, believe. that's absolutely not what happens. Perfect. Yeah, right. So um, the numbers don't add up. Hmm. Um, 
uh, for a lot of different reasons. And, and the reason, it, it really comes down to your gut health. And this is why, you know, for most of my athletes, we mail their poo away. We analyze everything. Like, we want poo. We want urine. We want, I mean, we want to know what they're doing with, with the food they put in. It's also real interesting because when we look at ah, athletes, okay. yeah. So then you can, then you're like, okay, this is what's actually getting absorbed. This is what's getting processed. This is what's getting used. And this is what's just taking up space. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, the biggest waste product I find in athletes, uh, carbohydrates, protein supplements. Oh, okay. Yeah. We can, yeah. I'm like, Hey, you know, and I'll often ask them, I'll get results back and I'm like, Hey, so what protein supplements are you using? And they tell me, you know, something, yeah. whatever. Like, what do you think you're doing with those protein supplements? And they're like, oh, it's the building blocks of, you know, Yeah, you're cells. just shitting it's, it out. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, you're actually, um, oftentimes I find they're using their protein supplements as an energy source. Mm -hmm. They'd be a lot more efficient with butter. Right. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, protein is, uh, is more expensive and harder to utilize as an energy source, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of a whole caveat on its own. But um, but if you intermittent fast long enough, like what Rich Froning is doing, what he's discovering, I'm sure I don't know the guy. I've not talked to the guy. I've just seen kind of what he's put online um, is that he's getting a lot of the metabolic advantage and the adaptations because he's fasting for a good portion of his day that he never had before. So then what's really interesting is if you look at um, somebody's diet and they eat from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed. And let's just picture an athlete, maybe old school bodybuilder. So they're, uh, maybe they're consuming and by the word consuming, putting in their mouth, I don't know, 5,000 calories a day. It's a lot, right? But for top yeah. end athlete, that, that's probably Not what for, they're yeah, eating, yeah. right? I mean, for your average American, they're, well, they're probably still eating 5,000, but they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. So what's interesting though, is that then that same athlete intermittent fasts. Right. So yeah. let's say that I take that athlete and I give them a six hour eating window and they're like, man, I was eating 5,000 calories a day. Like I've done everything I can to consume as many calories in that six hours. And I can barely get in 3000 cause I'm full. Well, does that mean they're going to lose 40% of their weight or whatever that is? I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not well, either. of course not. They're not going to lose 40% of their weight because what you discover, um, is that the body then handles food very differently. It has like, a different relationship with food now. Completely. And so, you know, I have athletes that eat one time a day. Um, they eat far less than they used to. If you look at any of the science, uh, any of the anti-aging science, of course, that it all recommends intermittent fasting um, because the process of eating and breaking down food releases free radicals. This is essentially what ages you. Um, now you'll die pretty quick if you never eat. Well, uh, yeah. But right, but... Um, yeah, we, it's you know. everything in moderation, right? Oh, I don't know about everything, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll edit that out, <laughs> but no, you don't have to edit that out. Um, you, you know, it's the differences in ideas that make the world go round. Uh, and we, oh, would no. not, we would not have discovered any of this stuff. Uh, if a few rogue Navy seals had not gone out on a limb and been like, dude, I gave up carbs. I eat one time a day. I can fight wars for three or four days. I never have to worry about food at the peak of their performance. Um, and now it's, it's translating across all kinds of different fields. The part that really resonates with me, I've been doing intermittent fasting for, I think about six months and I'm not, I'm not that smart, but I rely on people like you that are smarter than I am and have more information and better information. I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll do that. But 
if you picture like a hunter or gatherer who is out and hunting all day or fishing all day or whatever it is, and they're, and they're, they might, they maybe eat a meal a day, maybe they meal every other day, but they're expending a lot of energy on a daily basis. Right. So mm-hmm. it just makes sense to me that humans are very capable of putting in big efforts and expending a lot of energy and not requiring a lot of food to, to survive right. or, or even to, to thrive. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. That's you my know, dummy down man, way to understand it. But it's true though. Uh, it is so true. Um, and every time we try to push our limits or we try to learn something new or challenge the status quo, we often come up with something really big in return. And right now we had a whole bunch of athletes um some of some navy seals some triathletes um of old and even some weightlifters now that all kind of push the status quo as to what to eat how to eat when to eat they've challenged everything they thought they knew right um and they're bigger stronger and faster for it yep so it's pretty pretty amazing well speaking of challenging can we switch to the people who are challenging some of the stuff on the uh, tour divide is that a professional segue or what i like it (laughs) i like it well but it's important it is important i like it i like to challenge i i I, differences of opinion are are good um it's a competition of ideas where you get the best idea so or or whatever it is that you're 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 dealing with whatever the situation may be so First of all, to set up the set it up, all I know is that you were at the Brush Mountain Lodge because of an ice machine that went down. There, <laughs> I know there's some weird story on yeah. how you found yourself in the BML. Yeah. So uh, why don't you set that? Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I can tell because, my story yeah, for go sure. Ahead. So I'll, I'll honestly, um, you know, so I organized the American Trail Race. Uh, I use the term loosely, like I am no way, um, as involved in the American trail as Matthew is with the tour divide. You know, I know a lot of people think Matthew should, isn't very, I don't know. I don't know how to really how to describe it. I, Matthew is, I know Matthew area. really well and I love the guy. Yeah. Um, man, I owe the guy so much. Um, I know a lot of people, I think just maybe wish they saw more of him, right? Because. But I also totally, I don't know, he's way more involved with what happens on the Tour Divide than I am with the American Trail, just to be fair, right? So going into all of this, uh, I was, you know, dealing with a little bit of the American Trail stuff to get those guys out. But once they leave, they're on their own, honestly. Like, uh, don't call me. You're not going to come save them. Don't call me. Yeah. Well, that's funny (laughs) you said that. We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, And... Yeah, so I, I really hadn't been online, hadn't really been paying any attention. You know, the only drama surrounding the Tour Divide, uh, of course, that I had heard anything about was um, a little bit about uh, Lale making a movie and the film crew. Um, but, uh, like, uh, I just, I don't know. I, not my not my deal, not my monkey, not my football. Like, yeah. I'm not racing. Yeah. Um, not my pro- like, I just not my focus. Um yeah. I have a little plate, little mining claim in Salida. I was up there with my kid, um, vacationing. Like, so what we do, it's on the divide route. Every racer rode by our little mining claim driveway. If they're oh, looking, cool. yeah, it's totally, um, and Kirsten at the lodge is one of my fewest and best friends in the entire world. Um, 
you know, there's nearly 200 racers or whatever coming down from, from Banff. Um, going through Montana, like almost a week into the race, only like six had dropped or something. Like it was, don't quote me on yeah. that, but it was some r- unbelievably no, low number. Um, and then in the middle of that, uh, her ice machine broke. <laughs> so if you had ice at the Brush Mountain Lodge this summer, <laughs> uh, you can thank the efforts of, uh, Will, uh, my son and I. So yeah, it's not too far. We went to Craig. Uh, the morning, the, the same morning that Sofian and um, Josh Cato were due to make it in, um, we went to Craig or Hayden or wherever the ice machine was up there in one of those little towns. Um, and we picked this thing up and off we go to the lodge with my little baby Airstream in tow, mm. which makes things more complicated uh, <laughs> as to what we found. But I have a Toyota 4Runner. Like, thing will go almost anywhere. Yeah. And so we go up there, um, we unload, we help her, you know, the ice machine going and whatnot. And, you know, shortly later, Sofian rides in. It looks, to me, it looks amazing. Um, looks like a typical pointy end of the race, tired, yeah. but happy. He seemed like he was in good spirits the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how long he was there. He wasn't there very long. Um, I offered to make him a pizza because <laughs> that's what I, I'm, I'm a terrible pizza chef on Kirsten's pizza oven, but I can, I don't Good know. I, I mess up a lot of pizzas. <laughs> Dude, the pizza oven's hard to drive. Uh, I'll tell you. So, but you know, he was only there for a few minutes, very focused and off he went. Yeah. Um, now to get to the lodge that morning, uh, in my forerunner and airstream, um, before Sofian got there, we didn't take the, the normal tour divide road, the, the road that the riders would race coming from Wyoming. We should have, hmm. uh, that road's about 13 miles. It's up a hill, but it's a pretty well-traveled road. It's dirt. Um, but they put stuff on it to try to make it hard. Uh, my son and I, because, I just do this because I'm like, oh, look, an adventure. Let's go this way. Mm-hmm. We towed my Airstream um, across from the highway from Craig, which is quite a bit longer, but I thought it'd be fun. Um, almost lost my trailer several times. <laughs> just unbelievable mud, like snow. Off a cliff or because it was stuck in the mud? and you There couldn't... were times we were going down hills. I could see it sideways in my rearview mirror yeah. and then trying to pull it up the hills. Like it was, the roads were a disaster. And I had, I really had no idea mm-hmm. that it was that bad in there. Um, so yeah, so Sofian gets there, he leaves. Um, Josh Cato comes in hour or so later. All right. Also amazing spirits. Um, to me, honestly, he, he didn't even look like he was racing. He looked like he was just out having a, a grand old time. He's just um, at home. Totally. Yeah. Totally at peace. Totally at home. Uh, and he stayed for quite a bit longer. I think we made him a pizza and, and you know, he chilled. But then off he went. Yeah. So these two guys uh, left on their bikes. Like, that's kind of an important distinction. Because as I've told this story, um, it's important, I think, to understand that there were some pretty major differences between the way these different groups of riders arrived at the lodge and the way they left the lodge. Okay. 
Um, yeah, so, so off they go. There were also, shortly uh, right around them, some tourists showed up. I don't know how many. They were super cool. Um, like a rectal surgeon and like, I don't know, they were, they were, they were so cool, you know? And, uh, and, and they showed up uh, and there were some uh, northbound folks as well um, that had showed up at some point, uh, but all before like these guys left. Okay. You know, because that's important distinction because there were all these insane rumors about, well, all these northbounders came right. through, all these people were asleep. Like it was just, it just didn't happen. Like that's crazy. So, um, that evening, um, Chris showed up, I don't know, seven o'clock or so. I don't know. Don't quote me on the time, but yeah. you know, um, and then was it Nate and Steven, I think, um, you know, they all showed up and slept there. I talked to, uh, uh I talked to Chris for a while who I'd never met. Uh, I think he's one of the coolest people that I've ever met. And so I we know talk, he can dance pretty well. Can you he? See his dance moves? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm jealous. I, I, so, we, man, we talked for a while. I was just really captivated um, kind of listening to him. Um, he said he was going to sleep four hours and be on his way. Typical yeah. kind of racer, you know, typical kind of racer thing. Um, like, cool. So we all went to bed, essentially, at that point. And the next morning, I wake up and I see Chris. I'm like, dude, it's like, what happened to four hours? He's like, well, I'm, you know, I was sleeping so good. Like, so now I'm on my way. And so, you know, he got like 10 hours of sleep. That right? Brushy Mountain, man, it's a trap. Yeah, well, it is, you know, but it's part of, it's, it's part of it. It's a good trap. I think it's a good trap, it, but we're going to have to come back to that. Yeah, I know Because we you do. just would not believe the, the stuff that, that I have heard and gotten but yeah i'll finish this please my perception yeah, yeah. of the way this all unfolded and so at that point chris is getting ready to go i think it was nate and steve are getting ready to go that's their names right i'm pretty sure and we're kind of looking at the dots and the dots don't really make sense Josh Cato and Sofian had left and like, nearly 12 hours before. Right. It's like an eight-hour ride to Steamboat, six hours maybe. Like, I, it, it's not 12. Right. And not only that, but Josh is now way ahead of Sofian, and none of this makes any sense to me as a racer. I'm like, yeah, you know, and... I've learned this. Anytime you think track leaders is wrong, it's never wrong. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, you know, track leaders isn't working. Like, mm. it's totally. And so then it took me a minute and I was like, oh, wait. No, Sofian no, is lost. Something's wrong. Yeah. And I opened Sofian's dot, and that's when I realized he had backtracked walking uh, a very long way. Yeah. Um, and immediately recognized that something was wrong. Kirsten was standing next to me. Uh, we both immediately recognized that this is a very strong racer. Um, 
something's wrong. And so I got my forerunner and I drove up the hill to get him. I know Sofian. Yeah. Um, he's right. Ra- you know, I've raced with him. Uh, I had not communicated with him and I don't know, I probably hadn't communicated with him in a year, not before the race, not during the race, not that morning. Um, but I knew something. I mean, I know the yeah. area. I know the road. I, I knew something bad had happened. No, you had you you were tingling on the inside, and you felt like you might need I was to go going. In. Yeah, I got a lot of criticism. I was I was actually told by some what we would guess maybe we would consider I don't know older race wise men of sorts that I actually interfered with the flow of the race. I, I told them I would do it again. Yeah, like welcome to the new world. I don't know what to tell you. And so um, I drove up there in my forerunner that has all the electronic four wheel drive mud stuff, um, barely made it up, uh, and real realized it had not rained yet. Mm. Like this is just all from the day before I find him. He looks like a messed up racer, not the same Sofian that I'd seen the day before. Um, roll my window down. He was like, Oh my God, like, I'm glad to see you. I'm like, are you out? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm out. I'm like, okay, get in. Like, yeah. you're done. Okay, cool. Um, and so at that point, he jumps in the car. You know, I load his bike up. Uh, and he, you know, kind of proceeds to tell me about it, his night. And not in a not in a complaining way at all. This is a, a very strong racer, and he's very self-aware. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I talked to him, you know, for the podcast and it, it, to me, it just seemed like he's a very experienced racer, like you said, but he wasn't experienced with that. In the Rocky mountains. Yeah. That he didn't have experience there. <laughs> right. And so to be criticized. Oh, dude, it's unbelievable. People would, were saying stuff like, oh, well, if he took a jacket or if he took this or if he took, I'm sorry, if I take the right jacket, can I climb Mount Everest? No, I <laughs> like there you're talking you know european racers coming into the like he knows what he what he does and, and doesn't know and yes and, uh, you yeah, know and, and if a racer wants to take a risk man that's like what life is about i don't yeah. i mean our, our the our 500 mile race that we organized here in texas we had uh, almost 40 people start last year eight finished eight oh, wow four, yeah it was a rough year Cold people took risks yeah. everybody in the middle went out with their same texas you know the only people that finished were like the four guys from like michigan and missouri yeah and the four people in the back that had tents and 20 degree sleeping bags yeah <laughs> no you're, you know i mean it, it's just is yeah it's just crazy um, well you make a good point it's it's each individual's athletes um it's their race and they get to determine the risks that they want to take. And they also get to determine when they're in a situation they're not comfortable with. They don't feel good about for whatever reason. And they, they throw in the towel. That is their decision to make. Oh my God. Absolutely. And and I would like to talk about, well, we'll talk about dropping here shortly because I, I think that's an important philosophical point. Uh, but as a coach, I never provide gear lists to my athletes. Like, if you want Invictus Cycling to teach you to race the Tour Divide, cool. Like, I'll make you stronger. I'll make you more comfortable. I can't tell an athlete to use this sleep system versus that sleep system because they're all different. 
I'm happy to provide Plus every wisdom. human is different. Are you saying all oh, the people are different? All the yeah, equipment yeah, yeah. is different. People. Yes, that's people. Yeah, yeah. People are different. Their yeah, there is no one is different. size is... fits all whenever it comes to equipment. There's right. only one way to figure that out, and that's to just it, test it out. And if you believe that, then it becomes crazy to me for people to criticize somebody for taking it whatever i mean i'm just using the jacket example because it's right. absurd but that but that's where we were at yeah uh, that's where we yeah as as a community and yeah okay so we start driving back to the brush mountain lodge I, i'm telling you like it's a mess like I, I don't know if you're familiar with the road there's like a cliff on one side it's mm -hmm. like i don't know maybe 100 feet down to this to to the creek river ish thing at one point, I'm like half off the road. We're sliding sideways. I'm like, oh my God, I've rescued him and now <laughs> I'm going to kill, kill him. him. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like we're trying to get back onto the road and like it just won't go back onto the road. And uh, it finally pops back onto the road. And I just remember him sitting there like half asleep and he's like, good job. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, yeah, we're totally going to die. Yeah. Um, and so we continue on a little ways. And that's when I snapped that picture of Chris. It's like my favorite picture of him um, carrying his bike on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. I know that Walking picture. up the road. Yeah. Um, and the road was wet. The road was, was not, in my opinion, what it was about to become. Um, and so I get Sophie on back to the lodge. He goes to bed. I never see him again the entire day. So at that point now, we have Josh Cato who's way up on the pass walking. We have Chris and Nate and Steven, three racers traveling southbound up the road, not the pass. It's an important distinction. The pass with the snow is like 20 miles south of the Bush Mountain Lodge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I saw a lot of people talk about oh well they you know these guys didn't want to go over the pass well the pass was never the problem the snow on that pass was never the problem like the racers never saw it you know during this time not the it's like 20 miles away like it's crazy i'm like we're like people aren't even talking about the right problem hmm. there's also a group of tourists traveling around those guys um the surgeon and whatnot um who also left the, uh, at about the same time and they were going southbound, um, you know, because the account that kind of kept coming back to the internet as well, these tourists went over, well, they all left before what I would consider it got bad. Mm -hmm. So now all these guys are gone. Um, and I don't have times in front of me. I don't really, I don't know. The, it, it's kind of irrelevant, honestly, to the whole conversation. Um, several hours later, Josh Ibbett shows up to the lodge. And you would think things at this point, you know, everything's amazing. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I have to back up. So there's a gap now between all these guys leaving uh, and Josh Ibbett, who's next, and Lail, who's coming in after Josh. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember the times in my head, but I know that I laid down in my Airstream and I took a nap. So however long that was. Mm. Um, going back and looking at track leaders, it looks like it was about two hours. And it rained the entire time. If you've ever taken a nap in an airstream while it's raining, <laughs> you know how long it's raining. It's amazing. Tink, 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 Dude, tink. it's amazing. If you, yeah, right? So I have this little older, like, tiny airstream thing. But anyway, 
Um, when I got out, things had dramatically changed. Um, you know, I had barely made it back to the Brush Mountain Lodge down the hill in my forerunner the first time. Um, and now at this point, going anywhere north on the road was, I, I would not have driven it again. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just no way. Um, it's now overcast, it's misty, it's rainy. Like it's really kind of at a point, I, I've never seen the Brush Mountain Lodge like this. And I've been there a bunch. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I've never seen this level of funness. I'll, I don't know how else to describe it. Type two fun. Yeah, it is definitely. I don't know. We may be pushing type three. Type. I'm not sure. But <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, at this point, uh, Josh shows up and he wasn't there real long. I mean, he knew Lael was coming. Um, didn't really think. A whole, a whole lot of it. I mean, he ate and whatever and took off up the road. Yeah, you're in go mode. Yeah. Um, Lael shows up a little bit later. Same kind of thing. Typical Lael. Um, smiling, happy, just having a good time. <laughs> um, we chit-chatted a bit. Off the road, uh, up the road she went. Mm-hmm. Didn't think anything of it. You know, really, I really, nothing at this point um, yeah, so I guess this is when it started. Okay. They got, you can look at their dots, dude. Like, I don't know. They like, I don't even think it's a quarter of a mile. If you look at their dots <laughs> mm-hmm. and that storm that went through dramatically changed everything. So if you know anything about my tandem, run on the divide I did in 2016 with my daughter. Yeah. Um, 15, 2015. Okay. She was 16. Oh, we, yeah, that's right. Well, are you, you going to tell them what you did? You should at which least... Which part? Well, just that you rode uh, north to south solo, right? And then yeah. you picked up your daughter in Antelope Wells. South to north. I went northbound solo. Okay, northbound. So yeah. And you met your daughter in Banff, and y'all yeah. rode tandem back down to Antelope Wells. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the cool. second time I've yo-yoed the route. Right. Right? <laughs> I, I, so I understand the route. And I'll tell you, go northbound in May, and you'll understand the snow, which is really why I think I, I started getting pretty defensive when people started talking about snow on the pass. I'm like that. Man, that's the least of their problems. <laughs> like, right. That is that is not the issue at hand. Um, so I know a thing or two about mud. If you go back, Team Rice Burner is our Facebook mm-hmm. page. It's still up. You just go to the New Mexico section and enjoy the videos. We walked like, man, I don't know, like a lot from of all the mud. New Mexico dragging a tandem that we couldn't carry. Yeah. So I get it. I have a real appreciation for what these athletes are up against. And um, so not very long. So they, so the, now Lael and, and Josh have gone. I don't really think anything about it. Kind of looking at dots. How many pizzas do we need to make? Like, you know, kind of making mm-hmm. a plan. And the next thing I know, they're back. And I'm like, and they're back together. I'm like, Uh-oh. what in the world? And they're, they're destroyed. Like, I mean, you, it's, it's hard to describe what I was, what I was looking at. 
And, um, you know, so when you say destroyed, just their spirits were down or their bikes were destroyed. They were really rethinking life at this point. Yeah. As far as strategy and motivation and momentum and, um, and not in a bad way, you, you know, you, my strategy in these long distance events, you know, I never try to be, I don't want to use the word optimistic, but, um, I mean, you got to go with the flow, right? And, and so you leave and you think, all right, six or eight hours, I'll be in, um, you know, I'll be in steamboat. But of course they knew, they knew that Josh, you know, they knew Sophie Ann had dropped. They knew Josh was taking like eight, what did it take him? 18 hours, I think, 16 I hours. I don't a remember. long yeah. time, right? It's going to be more than a sandwich. And so they were at this point, they're rethinking, what do we do? Yeah. Um, both of them very experienced, very talented racers saying, there's no way this is dumb. Um, okay, cool. Right. A few minutes later, um, uh, Evan and Kai show up. Uh, first time I had met either of them, honestly, two of my most favorite people in the entire world mm-hmm. at this point, just from our short interaction. And, uh, you know, they kind of come in the same way and they're like, dude, we'll take a sandwich to go. We're out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, um, brief conversation. You might need more than a sandwich, but whatever. Uh, so at this point, people are now realizing what the real challenge that now lays ahead of them, what none of them understand because they weren't there the entire time is that the condition of the route leaving the lodge changed due to a storm that went through. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a hurricane. Maybe it wasn't whatever, but my perspective looking at this, looking at what the racers faced who left that morning versus what Lail and Josh and Evan and Kai were trying to face was a very different, is a completely different road. Um, and so you, and you didn't need to travel far. Um, you know, if you're familiar with that area, everybody's kind of familiar with the little iconic turn out of the brush mountain lodge. Kirsten mm-hmm. always takes pictures of everybody where that picture ends. You like, you go just around that corner and you drop into this low area. And that had just become one section of what, was about to turn into potentially like a 20 mile slog of of nothing different. And it doesn't get better. I couldn't say that when I was there, but it doesn't get better. Like I've walked that road. Yeah. Um, in a divide, Uh, you know, I heard some of the real old school divide folks saying like, Oh, well they put mag chloride on the road at, you know, at the park. And I'm just like, man, that's like, 10 miles or something, (laughs) right? Like, and so I knew we had something special that was about to occur, but again, like not my race, not really. You're just sitting there watching. Yeah. Documenting. Yeah. And at that point, like, I think I was texting my parents and I'm like, no, like we're totally stuck. Like, I don't know when we're coming home. Hmm. Like I'm not dragging my trailer back down the hill. 
like it like it's changed and it's overcast like it's not drying out like right. it's almost kind of getting worse so then more and more and more people of course start showing up right um and kind of taking on this <laughs> bizarre environment of like what in the world just happened you have some of the top adventure or endurance athletes in the world all in one place yeah. and they're stuck there right <laughs> and, and so you know that kind of led me to like another you know criticism that i often saw was well those other racers didn't even try to go up the road like i'm telling you it's absurd like you could look from the porch like do you if there's flooding outside your house like do you have to go swim in it to know right. that you can't cross it yeah like it, it just it became it, it just right so I started seeing, maybe it was that evening, maybe definitely the next morning. Um, oh, no, we should continue. Let me, let me, okay. So I, I'm now at this point, I'm getting ice and making pizzas, right? Like, you know, doing my part as the best little waiter that I can. And I start hearing their plan. Hmm which I did not interfere in. I really try not. Yeah. Right? I, you try not to, to interfere. It's their deal. It's their race. I'm not, right? Like, it's just not my, not my problem. You're making pizzas. Um, and they're not very good. I, they're not Kirsten-level pizzas, I can tell you that. But I try. And uh, their plan is to wake up at whatever time. It was like, oh, I think they wanted to say like 3 o'clock in the morning or something. They were hoping that the road would like freeze. Mm. It sounds so logical, right? In my head, I'm like, oh my God, that's the worst, that's the worst idea ever. <laughs> but it's not my deal. It's not my deal. Honestly, from be being from Texas, I don't even have an opinion on I know. snow or I freezing know. or anything. And so. Lael's from freaking Alaska. Like Alaska, yeah. she yeah. would know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, right. But it's summer in Colorado, yeah. right? Um, and this, this, this happens, this exact thing i saw a great comment i think it was jill homer she's like this happens in alaska all the time like in all the races like the racers always get stuck and they wait for conditions to freeze so they don't have to push through the snow they can ride on top of it like mm. this sounds, seems like a brilliant idea i just knew it was a bad idea because more storms were coming like mm. if you have not followed the weather in colorado this year like mm. it's unbelievable and um yeah so anyway that that was i guess that was that was the plan of course about 11 o'clock at night dude just started like it just started pouring hmm. pouring like not like a little bit pouring like a lot of it pouring yeah and by 3 a.m it was snowing and by the time the sun came up there was four or six inches of snow everywhere um the snow, again, not really being the issues, it, it made the, the pictures look nice. Um, but, dude, the, the conditions were worse than they were the day before. Um, and that's when, I mean, we had nothing else to do, right? So now I'm, like, surfing Facebook a little bit, which I don't do very often. And I'm seeing all these, like, just, to me, just, I wouldn't say crazy comments, but definitely comments from people who just, I don't even judge the the perspective, uh, but they just they weren't accurate. Hmm. You know, that's that's kind of when I started seeing the whole oh well, you know, like 
these people got through, like what's happening there. Like, this is great. Like all this stuff. Right. Right. And, um, so then I, you know, I took it upon myself and made a little video. I think it's on my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. You were up there like documenting people coming in and people leaving and then coming back and you know, the, yeah, definitely not attempting to generate drama. Right. But it kind of goes back yeah, to this just, whole, it, it was interesting. I mean, it, it, that was kind I of like, thought. A, yeah, it, yeah, that that was a that whenever you were doing it, that's what I was. I was like, this is cool. You know, I mean, you have somebody up there who's familiar with the racers, familiar with the route, adding you know some outside perspective as to what's going on. And I I I like that as a dot watcher and a fan of the sport. I like it whenever I can go on social media and kind of get some more context and like, all right, what's going on? And out we there? have to talk about that at the end of this. Okay. The, the dot watching spectator aspect. Oh yeah, I think it's it's really it's changing. I can tell you that my motivation in doing that is that I know a lot of these racers. I have <clears throat> tremendous respect for every single one of them that was there. Period. And what I saw developing online was not an accurate reflection of the people that I saw at the lodge. Yeah. If that makes sense. So I just wanted to tell a brief story. For people who didn't read that Facebook post that you made, what, I mean, what was it like? What were they talking about? What was the vibe? Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the video, um, basically kind of just told the story that like I just told, um, but has all of their smiling faces and waving. And of course, racers sleeping everywhere. I mean, the floor, the couches, the man, if they could hang from the rafters, I, I mean, there people were everywhere. Um, I asked Kirsten at one point, like, what's the record <laughs> for like the number <laughs> of people <laughs> of people, uh, I, the, by far, I think this is a record for the number of racers, but like, like there are just people everywhere. Yeah. Um, and the vibe was just bizarre. And not in a negative way, just everybody was kind of like it to me. This is Billy Rice's perspective. Um, everybody was just kind of in this, uh, like, what in the world is happening? Like, is you know, you it's and it's a very difficult thing to go from race mental mode to out of race mode. Uh, and, but man, but people were amazing there, like, everybody was cool, like, everybody was nice. People were trying to make like backpacks to haul their bikes, like uh, as Arizona Trail style. Yeah. Like, you like people were like making backpacks out of like inner tubes and stuff. And like, that's awesome. Cause they had nothing else to do. They were stuck. Like, they weren't like, you know, like none of them wanted to be there. Like, I, I've said that so many times. But well, that, yeah, I think that's the important thing and, to realize is that, I mean, all of those people spent so much time, energy, money everything else so that they can race the divide and be in the position yeah. at the front of the race. And then the idea that they're just going to take a nap and tap out just, oh, just because there was a little bit of snow. Yeah. Is crazy. Yeah. To it, me. it really was. And, um, that, and that was a really good perspective that you were able to share because you were there is like, none of these guys want to be here right now. This isn't, they're not having fun, not taking a vacation they all want to be out there racing and riding their bikes right now. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, in my attempt to describe this to people, I posted a picture. Me, Billy Rice, posted a picture of an e-bike. Mm -hmm. 
man, I, oh, if you could just do some things over, <laughs> right? Um, this e-bike was, from my perspective, was never ridden or touched by a racer, number one, right? Which would, I don't know. It, anyway, it just wasn't. Um, at some point in all of this, Lil's film crew showed up. I, I really don't care. Like, not my problem. I'm not racing. I'm not really. Um, they were super cool. Like, I, I don't. What else are they going to do? Sleep on the side of the road? Right. Like, I, we're all humans first, right? Yeah. And so they were filming. Like, they were, you know, flying drones down the road. They yeah. were filming sunsets or whatever. The sun did finally come out. Um, they were doing what film crews do. Um, you know, I got criticism from one older racer because I posted a picture of uh, um, of Chris, the, the one carrying his bike, mm-hmm. you know, because that somehow gave an advantage to other people that they would understand that the road was wet. I'm like, what, the to the racers and Montana? Like, that's absurd, right? Like, I mean, people are posting pictures all the time, number one. Yeah. And number two, who cares what the weather's like two states down yeah. from me? It's a, this is but silly. It's, yeah, dude, it was... That's like, that's like saying Chris, who's on the route, can't post a... Post a I mean, everybody's posting pictures. We literally for, haven't. Yeah, I was... I mean... So my frustration level was just kind of growing and growing and growing. And so in an attempt to explain what these elite, amazing people were facing... I showed a picture of this e-bike after well, literally, I don't know, it was a, you know, in, in, uh, and for in clarification, one post, the e-bike was for the film crew. Yeah. The film crew. Right. It was a genius idea. Yeah. You ever ridden an e-bike? I have not. All right. So I'm just I was gonna... on a film crew with 50 pounds of gear and I was trying to hop back and forth and go everywhere. I would ride. I would. It Dude. Af- yeah. After it dried out a little, I rode it. Yeah. Oh my God. Was that your first time? Dude, first time. <laughs> Giggled like a schoolgirl. Like, I couldn't. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would own one necessarily. Not yet. You're not 80 yet, but. Oh my God. You know, one day. Dude. Anyway. Um, yeah, just very well intentioned. Just trying to describe what the conditions were like. Yeah. Um, and this bike did not travel very far. Um, you know, I had like two conflicting posts. I think in one post I said like a quarter of a mile. I, I don't really know how far it went. It, 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 I don't think it was a quarter of a mile. I think that was a, really an over-exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, if you just go past that little turn in the Bush Mountain Lodge, like you're in it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the internet kind of exploded. Like, I mean, people were accusing the film crew of Route doing recon. recon. Yeah. Like, I was just like, what has our sport become? I mean, I, I, I was really just like, uh, uh, it's, it, I, yeah, sorry. Was, no, no. It, it's, I, it just, it started that way. That's, that, that's the exact question that I started asking as soon as Rue made a post about all the rules that they were going to follow, because even before the race began, people were criticizing to have a film crew on the divide route, you know? And so that it's like, what is going on right now? So I didn't know. So I kind of went into this with my ice machine a bit unaware. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I saw was a Facebook post that had occurred several months before 
um, that basically said something along the lines of Lael's going to have a film crew. Is it against the rules? Discuss. Yes. Which I thought was about the no- most non-productive <laughs> thing that I've ever seen in my life. Um, stayed out of it. Didn't, I don't, people were tagging me and stuff on it. Like I don't even, if I, if I get on Facebook once a week, once every other week, maybe, I mean, that's probably my, my limit at this point because I just, life's too short. Yeah, exactly. And that had bothered me um, because it just didn't seem to be the respect as humans that we should probably give each other. Now, yeah. to be fair, because people are like, well, what's, what it, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it whatever? Is, it, is, a, is a film crew support? See, should we is, have that discussion? Well, I will. I'm happy to have that discussion, but I think it sucks that we even have to because it just speaks to like this American society where everybody's litigious, where it's like, okay, here are the rules. All right, <laughs> now we have to define support. Yeah. And we're going to go, and who's the committee that's going to determine what is support and what isn't support? So I think we have to go back in history just a little bit, right? Go right ahead. Okay, so if you go to old school, before my time, I mean, racers went no cell phone, got on pay phones, called 1-800 number, and that's how you track the race, mm-hmm. right? All the way, you know, Joe Polk then, I mean, those days of, I mean, that's how you did it. Right. So is that... So if that's the definition of no support, then it just becomes this big, massive gray area. Yeah. What I about mean, all that equipment that you're bringing with you? What if I get on Facebook? Yeah. What if, you what if I get phone? on Facebook and you tell me, good job, Billy, keep going. You're doing great. Or your friend texts you and says, hey, you're just past somebody or you're catching up to somebody or whatever it is. Because all of that happens now. All right? of that happens. All of that happens. Yeah. Um, so clearly this gray area could just go forever. Exactly. So in my head, just Billy Rice's world is a film crew following me to make a movie about me support. Because I'll just put my opinion out there for half a second. No, I don't think it is support. Yeah. This is when everybody blows up. Ah, but however, the problem is a race. And the problem for the other racers is has nothing to do with the crew being a film crew. The problem is three or four individuals following one particular racer. And in the world that we live in, especially as it gets bigger and more competitive, the potential for those people supporting a racer under the guise of a film crew, of course, is a major problem. Right. That's, that's the way it works in my own head. It has nothing to do with the camera. It has nothing to do with filming. It has nothing to do with the e-bikes. But if you're trying to compare the race of today with the race of, say, 2010 or before, the film crew, or I, I don't even like to use the word film at this point because I think it's irrelevant, the crew creates a problem. If we're trying to maintain the integrity of what was. I don't know. Is that fair? I don't know. Is it? I mean, I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, you can't, I, I don't, I, and, and I, I'll tell you. So I, I organize, um, you know, I organize Route 66, uh, which we only did once. We're not doing it again. I organize the American trail, I organize the grand gravel 500. 
um, we took the visitation rule out. It's not there. I don't care if I don't care who visits you. Just to make it, uh, dude, it's impossible. Just, just it's to Im- take away Im- the complication. Oh of- yeah, you you can't, it's impossible to enforce, and it, it's just everybody has to be out there for their own reason. I can't define like what your reason is or what my reason right. is or what anybody else's reason for being out there. Um, but do you talk about opening a nightmare? Uh, trying to enforce that well, we can see right now. I mean, that's what we're talking about is, is, is this issue. Yeah. You know, in the old school races, uh, definitely had more of the time trial aspect. It was, it was almost like it was a collection of individual time trials. You, me, everybody, we're going to start together. The real race was against yourself and I might use your position in the race to motivate me yeah. to do a little more. Um, but it had this very almost gentleman feel about my struggle was mine. Your struggle was yours. And whether you finished in 15 days or 30 days, it, you fought your fight. Um, when you put 200 people out there and the culture starts shifting and changing, this year's Tour Divide reminded me more of the Tour de France than the Tour Divide. I, 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 yeah, next we're going to... I mean, I heard people accusing Sofian of doping and of having a motor on his bike. So if you want to say Tour Divide, yeah. We're there, right? We are it, yeah, there. We are in a Tour Divide culture now where people are throwing around accusations that are completely... And un- for what, right? Yeah. Nope, no, no yeah. prize. And that's no really, one's going to be there most likely at the end, <laughs> except for a, a family member to pick you up and take you somewhere. Yeah. And so when I saw like websites calling the Brush Mountain Lodge event, the Vortex, whatever, when I saw them calling it a staycation, like I lost it. Like my blood pressure went through the roof because I know these people. I've raced with many of these people. I saw them at the Brush Mountain Lodge. I know what they were up against. And then it was being like by a journalist website labeling it as a staycation. Like what was the point? Hmm. Like to generate drama for your advertisers followers. And yeah, and I, I couldn't handle it. Now, gotta to get be those fair, clicks. That's, that's my gotta bias. Gotta get clicking, though, right? Like that's my my bias, and I think that that's the the bias that maybe a lot of old school divide folks have because they want that old school divide feel. Yeah. We just now happen to be at this crossroads um, where it's changing, and and I, you'll never get it back. Right. Like, unless you're going to tell people you can't take cell phones and you got to call, you know, Joe Polk's answering machine. I love Joe, but he's going to need a bigger inbox. <laughs> like, I don't think we're going to get back to that is the, the core of the divide. Right. And so for events like the divide to continue, I, I think we're going to have to embrace what embrace what's really happening and occurring. Um, and it's just different. And different's okay. So, 
going back to having a film crew, you know, for me sitting here today, I w I wouldn't be sitting here today probably if it wasn't for ride the divide. Right. You know, and I would like to think that I'm trying to do something positive to, con to contribute to the community, but I'm, I'm here because a guy went out and filmed a bunch of people racing the divide right. and it influenced a huge movement. And what we're dealing with now, I think is in large part due to that film that really informed and educated people about this really cool route and the amazing people that were participating and taking place in that event. And I look at Lael and the part that's hard for me to swallow Whenever I looked, I interviewed her prior to the divide. I knew that they were going to be filming it. I thought it was great. And my, my thought was, yes, yeah, that's what I would like to see in the sport. I would like to see, I would love to be there, you know, quote unquote, be there. I'd like to see how hard it really is. I'd like to see the emotion and the, the challenges and the weather and everything. Like, yeah, I want to see a film about that. And I never once considered it you know, cheating or anything like that. But as it, it, it like unfolded and all the drama started to come out, what, what I thought about it, and I'd, I'd be curious to get your opinion is hasn't Lael earned our respect. <laughs> I mean, right? ha hasn't she written all over Arkansas and all over soloed everywhere? I I'd be interested to make an argument that, a film crew could be distracting to what she was trying to actually accomplish. Oh, accomplish. I have so many thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, but the point is, is like, I can be contrarian and say, well, it could be a, a distraction. Maybe she races better when she's um, out there in her own and she's not distracted by having to worry about or thinking about the fact that there's a fucking camera there. Maybe, maybe, you know, but the point is like, we don't know. I don't know what helps her and what doesn't help her and all that. Right. But I do respect Lael and I think as a community we we should give her the respect that not she deserves but she has earned it through the actions and the accomplishments that she has I totally agree hit me hey, with it yeah so you know I I love how to describe this so uh, in real life um, I manage an air medical helicopter company in Texas. Uh, very, very, very high performing group of people in the most high risk, high demand environment ever, ever. Right. And so a big part of my day to day job is analyzing events and trying to make sure that if we have errors or mistakes, even, uh, or either in, you know, in patient care or in aviation that we do better tomorrow because if we don't people die right so it's a it's a very high risk um environment that really leads to a lot of very philosophical and um very deep rooted conversations between myself and my crews to understand human performance and i think that translates in a lot of ways when i look at high performance racers and decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. um, when people make a, a decision, they always think it's the right decision when they make it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So as I started analyzing 
Well, let, let, go back a bit. Um, in 2013, uh, Mike Hall caught Craig Stapler on the Tour Divide. Mike was 60 miles behind Craig, and that was Southern Wyoming or something. Um, Mike, of course, caught Craig, and then a day or two later, uh, after Union Pass or so, or Pine Dill, um, Craig dropped from the divide. To go back a year before, Craig got second place on the Tour Divide in 2012 mm. due to a broken pedal on the way in to the border. Mm. And I talked about that a bit, kind of from that perspective of how we all make decisions with unbelievable respect. Um, and this will clearly tie back to Lil. Uh, when, a, when, when someone goes into a race environment and their motivation is winning or their motivation is some particular time, and the ability to do that goes away. They'll never achieve that goal for whatever reason. Um, of course, their motivation to be out there drops. Yeah. Uh, you know, so one of the comments I saw several times um, regarding Lale's drop from the divide, and I don't speak for Lale. Like, uh, yeah, just I really don't opinion, right? Okay. Um, was oh well she knew she wasn't going to break her record or win or whatever so she dropped maybe i mean who cares like it's not your problem who cares right who? that's my thought you yes. know and i, I it's so, her race yeah. i'll go back to what i said at the very beginning it is her race it's yeah Sophie's race they get to choose how they get to want to tackle that challenge we right. all do yeah um some of us take 30 days, some of us take 14 days, but at the end of the day, that that's what just drives me crazy is you got all these people that are just throwing around just shit talking, yeah. you know? And it's like, you, you don't know. Yeah, and so I think when I analyzed, because I love to analyze, I don't know, people in general. I mean, I don't know, it's what I do for a living almost, yeah. right? So when I'm looking at, at Lil and her decision, just watching her interaction with people, listening to conversations at the lodge. And I, and I really didn't fully understand even what was occurring until long after I left the Brush Mountain Lodge, went back to Salida, um, got a lot of other perspectives, heard a lot of the earlier drama. Well, man, no wonder she dropped. <laughs> Nobody got more hate no. right, thrown their way. Uh, in this Starting year's. two weeks before the TD and just all the way through is just I nothing. I don't think but... I would have lasted as long as she did. I feel so bad for her. You know, it's like you can have whatever opinion you want of the of the film crew. Like, sure. And I've given mine, right? But it's like, do you think she even would have started that project? Like, what was the motivation for the project? I don't just know. Knowing Lael in her history, just take a guess. You're it, guessing. This is your is to um, inspire other people to ride bikes. Amen. I, I have no doubt that that I have no doubt. Lael, to me, from knowing her, interviewing with her, and watching her career, 
just simply loves to ride bikes and her passion projects that she does are about getting people on their bike and riding bikes so which is which is a message that 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 is the only message that as cyclists we should be promoting and the fact that we're backbiting and talking shit about each other is what is super disappointing like we are all cyclists so if i go back to everybody thinks they're making a good decision when they make it <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> like if she if, if she knew all of this drama was going to lay out do you think she would have done it the same way or at all <laughs> no it's just not worth it i think she would have been bummed and but just said fuck it if right if you, you if, if if yeah right um that would be my dog <laughs> yeah I, you know and um I of course think the that was the motivation, you know, and and I think that it's an admirable one. And then we just have this big conflicting culture, um, which we're now currently in. So then the big question to me becomes, where do we go? Like as a ultra community, as a bikepacking community that's very different than it was 10 years ago. How do you, how do you keep it together? Or do you, or does it now start to faction out? Yeah. Is the tour divide as we know it over? Yeah. What happened, you know, what happens next year? Well, I don't know. I, I've given that a lot of thought as well. Oh, let me ask you this. Did yeah. you know that Lale wasn't the only one with a film crew? I did know that. But I don't know how many people know that. I'm because not. Because she was it's the not only. not my problem. I'm I, not giving names, right? It, I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> everybody cared about Lale's. Everyone did, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sad. I mean, what do we do? Where does it go from here? Um, my hope is that we have conversations and my my main message is that it's up to each individual person how they want to participate in that event and you get the opportunity if you want it to go out there and do it your way but there's no prizes there's no trophies we don't have lawyers that are going into the tour divide rules and dissecting every single word to get see ready yeah, yet. <laughs> well, that's what I want to prevent is like, is that what we want? Is that what we want where we have to like have a lawyer draft a document that implicitly states what you can and can't do and you have to sign it? And I mean, well, it, they already are, right? You know that, right? Oh, when you no. sign up for the Tour Divide. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, a typical waiver where you're just like, okay, I, I might die, but it's not your fault. No, kind no, of no. Deal. Well, I don't think so. I don't know. I haven't signed up for the Tour Divide in a while, yeah. but it's. Uh, it's like an understanding of the rules. Mm -hmm. It's like a, I don't know, whatever it says. Like, I understand, blah, 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 and you click acknowledge, and then I understand, blah, 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 and I acknowledge. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, man. That's I, a lot of organizing for an unorganized event. Exactly. <laughs> right? You, I mean, you kind of just have, I mean, I don't know. I, again, with, with the, because Lael is the hot topic, was it a, a support? Because the argument was, is like, well, her girlfriend was out there. I think it's a detriment. A distraction. Huge. 
that's that's what I think. I mean, knowing Lael, knowing how, I mean, which is exactly why we don't have the rule on the American Trail. Yeah, I don't have the rule on the five hundred. I, I just yeah, yeah, I get it, man. It, I mean, it's sticky, but at the end of the day, my hope is that as a community, we stop talking shit about other people. If you have an opinion, then it should be your opinion, and and that's fine. But to form your opinion, you don't attack somebody else or talk negatively about somebody else. That's just in intellectually lazy. All you're doing is talking shit. Yeah, if no, you want to have an informed conversation and have an opinion, then let's do that. But you don't do it by bringing down other members of our community. Yeah. And I think almost everybody would agree with that. I do think is, as I analyze the system that we have to communicate. Yeah. That we're set up for this, that we're, we're really being set up and not in conspiracy world. I mean, <laughs> yes, I might be a bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I, the forum of Facebook, the forum of Instagram and it, it almost drags people into this ability to type a little bit of the information, but not necessarily all of the information. And then yeah. somebody comments and that's a little bit more of the information, but not all of the information. And then it contradicted this other piece of information. And so then the next person's like, Oh, well, that's not really what I said. It, it, and then it just starts building on itself and it drags, I think very, very well intentioned people yeah. into this forum. And before you know it, it's like totally out of control. All right. Yeah. With, with no emotion. That's exactly how it happens. Yeah, because, you know, the things people would say in these chat groups, I don't think they would ever say face-to-face. -face. I don't think they would ever say on a panel. No. I don't think... And even in their defense, it's only a small snippet of what they really think. That that opinion is backed up by other feelings or thoughts or experiences. We and, all come... Right. right we exactly. all come with that perspective yeah. bias. As do the racers who are out there. You know? Right. And so, it, yeah, it just, you just find yourself going in a huge circle if you want to start, you know, if you want to start that process of just like going around in circles. I mean, especially if we're talking about a self supported bike packing route with, you know, fairly limited rules. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, what are we doing? And on that, we have to talk about the American Trail. Yeah, we do. So I think we had 16 start. One finished. Indy. Shout out. Dude. So it Indy. I, I don't know how to describe this guy. Give it a shot. Most unbelievable human on the planet. Oh. Not just an not just athletically. Yeah. I, I mean, not only does he have a four-wheel drive Astro van. Yes, he does, which is awesome. Which I just makes him immediately top tier. Yeah. Um unbelievable effort um and so you know a few years ago we had this idea to put this american trail route together the american trail is nothing like the tour divide like you got to get the two out of your head the american trail is over five thousand miles and it's mountain biking so that seems kind of similar the problem is the route was originally just uh, designed for motorcycles motorcycles and bicycles have nothing to do with each other 
because a motorcycle will drop off route, go get gas, drive through the little town. They'll shop for the wife. Like it's, is different. So then we put this route together. Um, last year, which was the second year, we had two people sign up. One started. And of course, neither made it. Uh, this year they went out 16. Um, and for a whole host of reasons, uh, most of which had to do with Oklahoma, one finished. So, well, they were impacted by the weather as well. That was oh, going huge. On with the it was divide, a terrible, so terrible. It was pretty interesting to be watching the tour divide and the ATR at the same time. Be like, just watching this is them just drop. A shit show. It was yeah. so bad. Yeah. Um, and so the Oklahoma was underwater and there were really no way through any of the roads in, in Oklahoma at that point. They were having literally to take highways and bridges and detours to get over Oklahoma. And then of course we had hundreds of feet on the ground of snow through Colorado, uh, which destroyed, I, I mean, there's just no way that they could even get anywhere close to the route, um, going through Colorado. One person pushed on, created all the detours, uh, back and forth. I mean, I don't know how many extra miles, uh, the boy walked and yeah. rode and still did an amazingly impressive time of like 31 days and something. I, we, I mean, we yeah. don't really count it cause there were so many detours. But unbelievable time. The previous well, record was 34 attitude, days. And his attitude. Oh, the, the entire whole, time. Well, just in general, Indy, I mean, you were talking about him as a racer and a person and, and as a human. His attitude is, is what really sets him apart and his perspective on life. You know, whenever he's in those situations, he's just going to smile and be like, yep, this is what I signed he up for. Is, he is one of those people that I could just sit and listen to for hours yeah. and hours and just just right. listen to him talk. Um, so we are, we're, we're talking about some neat things for the route. So we've, uh, the route's been cleaned up pretty substantially. Large chunks of the route that were previously rideable, like magically became private property <laughs> and were bought by like people with guns. Yeah. I don't have any problem with guns, but they were a little aggressive. When they want to keep you off. Well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it went a little sideways. It's just a, few, a bummer. Yeah, a few times. That's what I'm saying. Um, but we're also very, very, very strongly considering, and I think will become a reality, a September 1 start. For weather reasons? Yeah. Much like the AZT is? Yeah, so if, if, if they leave the beach, so you know the beginning of the American Trail, all the racers have to camp on the beach uh, because there's no roads for you to take to the beach. So everybody camps out there the night before, um, just on one of the most amazing beaches ever. And then the next morning, a boat picks all the racers up and takes all the racers to shore. Uh, when they hit shore, the race is on. It's kind of the way it works. It's like the coolest start to any race ever, yeah. I think. <laughs> um, and pretty magical if you've ever, if you've ever been on the beach. And um, so if we start in September, all the flooding will be over. Oklahoma won't be underwater and we won't have to detour any of Colorado, which included like imaging pass and some super high passes going mm -hmm. through the San Juans, uh, which we've never been able to race because even when they hit that stuff late June, they can't get over. 
and not because of snow. It's like ice climbing still. It's uh, really, really dangerous. You know, the other thing that is nice is it's not going to conflict with the tour divide. Right. Which will be, I think, good in terms of participation and also just awareness. Right. I mean, everybody's so hyper-focused on the TV yeah. that, like, I, I had both screens open. I know. I wonder so how many hard. people do, you know? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a And lot. we didn't want to conflict the first right, year. Yeah. The problem is we didn't really know how long it was going to take people. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't have people starting in September and finishing in January. You know, I didn't know. Not a lot of trial runs going on before that one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was just no way. You know, we've got locals all over the place that feed us a bunch of information. Um, But, yeah, I think that'll be exciting for the race. I think it'll... It'll pick well, up a bit. Since we're here, yeah, let's throw a shout out to Indy and congrats on an amazing, uh, an amazing event. And I, I want to give him a, a personal shout out because you were just talking about him being a, a, a really solid human being. When he, when I interviewed him, he mentioned a couple things on the podcast. One, he was going to send me a book called "Let My People Go Surfing" by Yvonne uh, <laughs> Chenard. Um, and he also mentioned, like, I, I'm not very flexible, and so he, uh, this like this uh, yoga pod that you like sit on to help you like meditate. He, he mailed me both of those after the race. Like, it's like one of those things, like someone's like, Oh, I'm going to send you that book. But Indy fell, felt or followed through with that. Which, you, which I was like, dude, that's, it was, it was a little thing, but it spoke to me. It's like, okay, here's a guy who in, in the course of an interview, when you're just kind of talking and throwing ideas back and forth, he remembered that he said those things and then he followed through and I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's solid. That's you know? him. Yeah. That's him. I don't, I don't know how else to yeah. describe it. So shout out to Andy. Keep being you, man. Um, and let's talk about the 500. Anything, uh, we're, we're, what are we like six months Ooh. away? Yes. The Grand it, Gravel 500. The Grand is Gravel the 500 and it will not be in February. Oh, when is it going to be? Oh, Too man. much rain? I, well, this year everyone froze to death. Or yeah, rain and freeze. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, just real quick, if you don't know, Billy Rice is also the race organizer for event uh, here that's based in College Station. It's a Grand Gravel 500. We're going to be on our fifth year. Yeah, fifth year. Also known as the East Texas Cemetery Tour. <laughs> yes, I, I know. One knows all the cemeteries. I don't remember, but I have the stats. What's the number? I I all insert it here. But I, I have all the stats. I, I went through the route and counted every single cemetery <laughs> on Rye with GPS. It's unbelievable, right? Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll pull it up while you're talking. And they're all like, you know, 150-year-old cemeteries. It's crazy. Oh, I counted the cemeteries and the churches because that's really what oh. it is. It's like a cemetery church tour, you know? It's East Texas. It's creepy. Yeah. Bigfoot is so out when there. So when is it going to be this year? March 19th. March 19th. Mark your calendars. Yeah, so um, same kind of deal. We'll leave at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning. It's a 20-mile escort uh, by Brazos County's finest, um, also avid cyclists. And, yeah, then the race is on. It's a 500-mile loop up to Palestine through the East Texas Piney Woods. Don't underestimate it. (laughs) Which direction are we going this year? It alternates every year. uh, So we're going clockwise. Yeah, we'll go clockwise, <laughs> which I think is more fun. Um, the start is easier when we when we go that way, but I don't know. I like both. I've ridden it both. All right, I can't find. It should be fun. I can't find. 
All right, I'll have to insert that later. But I counted every single every single cemetery and church that we that we passed. So, I'll, so I'll throw that dad out there. I was curious because you kept referring to it as like the cemetery tour, and so I didn't while know anybody I was doing had my ever counted be- beta. I, I don't know. I, well, you said you like to analyze people. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of the, I, I don't do it quite as much now because I I, I kind of enjoy the adventure aspect of it of of kind of not knowing everything, but definitely going into that event the first time, I was like, okay, I want to know everything, you know. And I marked every restaurant, every guy, you know. I went a little overboard, but you That's know, funny. I I brought my that was my security well, blanket. You if know? you haven't stopped at that little green restaurant Mexican shack outside of Huntsville, then you missed out. Phelps in Phelps outside of Huntsville. Oh, um, well, Phelps is at, Phelps is to the east of Huntsville. It's, little green uh, thing. It's yeah. like a little old school Mexican food. Yeah. We just we went on a uh, my wife and I would uh, did an overnighter like a month ago and we went and ate there. Magical. I intentionally made the route to like stop there <laughs> right. at like six o'clock and grab dinner and then go to and then I. I got some extra burritos for in the morning, and mm-hmm. those are good to go, man. Yeah, and we may, uh, has not been announced, we may have a 200-mile option on this one, too. I think that'd be a great idea. To, yeah, I think that They I think just, they have cool. to act right. Okay. That's, that's... You, what do you mean, act right? Well, like, you almost... Be nice you to almost, you and you'll do it? <laughs> no, you almost, you almost get a, cra- a different crowd, is okay. my fear. You almost get a different crowd with a 200-mile than with a 500. Um you know, in that it's a, you know, kind of a, it's a hospital charity event. Um, just, just making sure that racers kind of maintain the bikepacking ethos, the leave no trace, the courtesy on the route. Um, okay. Yeah. you know, that, uh, 200 miles is still epic, you yeah. know, and if it's first time people still need to be self-sufficient, they still need to be able to self-rescue. They, or have someone who will come and pick them up if it goes bad. Right, right. Um, yeah. As to opposed to, um, there's no sag wagon. Well, there's this no... past year we had a bunch of people that made their own 200 mile route. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because they were all. Well, we had we had some that had that that I knew would do that ahead of time, but then once that weather went gnarly, I mean, I just knew that that was going to happen. Yeah, Mother Nature, man, can't do it. That Can't do brutal. anything about it, no, except yeah. for move it to March nineteenth. We are. It is going to be March nineteenth. I'm actually really happy to hear that. Yeah, it'll be good. All right, Billy. What did we not talk about? I think we got it. No, we talked. Well, there's a lot we didn't talk about, but um, yeah, appreciate you uh, kind of ta- tackling the drama and offering some different perspective. I certainly don't want to fuel the flames of that at all, but conversations are good. Totally. You know, and, and I, we just wanted to have a conversation and, and throw some more information out there. And so anyway, at the end of the day, it's all about riding bikes and having a good time. And hopefully we can all as a community just focus on enjoying the ride, man. Amen. Right. Preach. All right, dude. All right. We made it all the way to the end. Thanks for sticking around. And like I said at the beginning, I'm going to start doing things a little bit different. I figure if you're still here, then uh, then you care. And uh, I appreciate that. So, you know, I think I'm going to call it like the after show or after party and uh, be a little more just kind of laid back um, and tell you what's going on with Bikes or Death, maybe interviews I've got coming up ways you can support the show. I don't know. I'm just going to kind of wing it and see how it goes. But, um, there is a lot going on. First off, 
apologies for not getting an episode out last week. I had uh, some stuff lined up and those interviews fell through and work got real busy and I just didn't have the opportunity or the ability to, to make it happen. Um, but I, I'm headed out to Austin tomorrow morning and I'm interviewing Vince with Chumba. And uh, then on Friday morning, I'm interviewing uh, the girls who are putting on the Grit Women's Mountain Bike Festival in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I got more coming and I'm working on lining up more even after that. Um, in other news, uh, thank you to Butt Crack Jenny on Instagram. I freaking love her handle. It's hilarious. Um, so you'll probably know that I just ran a contest on Instagram to get some new artwork and designs for Bikes or Death, the brand, um, stickers, jerseys, socks, water bottles. I don't know. going to go crazy. going to see, um, see what we can put it on. I got new stickers that are coming in the mail today. They're already on the website. You can go, um, now if you go to bikesordeath.com, you can buy, uh, Bikes or Death swag, um, so stickers, patches, they're all available there. And of course you can still find them on Patreon. So I've updated the tiers on Patreon to reflect, uh, the new item. And, uh, I haven't, if, if you're already a patron and you want a new sticker, I get it. Just shoot me a message on Instagram or through Patreon or whatever. I'll make a note on your account and I'm going to get uh, new stickers shipped out to the people. Now it's a $6 sticker. So if you're a $1 a month, then after six months, once you paid in $6, I'll send you a sticker, you know? So, um, I'll just try to keep track of that and hopefully I do a good job. Um, if I miss one, uh, just shoot me a message. Um, it's just me. I don't have any assistance. So I'm trying to juggle my real job, uh, you know, being a father and a husband and also producing a podcast. So, uh, yeah, shit happens. Things fall through the crack. Definitely not intentional. I'm trying to run this as well and professionally as I can, but at the same time, I have to be honest about the fact that, um, this is not my main job. This is not my real gig. It's, it's a side hustle. Um, it's a passion project. It's something I do for fun. Um, yeah. So I guess in that vein, I kind of wanted to, um, give y'all an idea of what your money and contributions go to when you support the show. And, uh, we're, I'm going to get in all the ways you can support it. Um, one of them, the, the new one is through just buying merchandise and wearing cool gear, um, and representing that bikes or death lifestyle. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, so ultimately I look at everything from a time perspective. In my opinion, time is the most valuable asset or resource that we have. You know, our health, we can, your heart goes bad. They'll give you a new heart. If you break your arm, you fix it. You know, I mean, health is important, but time is the one thing that you never get back unless they figure out anti-aging, in which case all this is a moot, um, is moot. So with that said, I mean, I have to, the more, just putting it simply, the more money I make, on bikes or death, the more time I can, uh, devote to it. Um, what does that mean? You know, things that I would like to do would be a bikes or death podcast tour where maybe once every four months or even once a month, I mean, depending on how, how 
you know, how, how much money I can make doing it. Um, I'll go on a podcast tour and I'll just knock out, you know, several, like I'll go West coast, East coast. I mean, I'll go wherever and just ride bikes and talk to people, you know? Um, I think it'd be really neat to, you know, go on a trip with somebody and, and then, you know, experience them, experience who they are, hang out with them, get to know them and then record a podcast. You know, I think that would be like the next level. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, just in general, the more I make on the podcast, the more time I'm going to be able to justify spending on it. It's that simple. Um, and I've got some good ideas on how to make that happen. So the big decision to make in my shoes is go with advertisers, go with a sponsor or just keep it me and, and, and allow the listeners allow y'all to support the show and keep it free from any outside influence. You know, I mean, right now the people I talk to are the people that I want to talk to. They're people I find interesting. I talk to them about the things that I want to talk. I have the opinions that I want to have. You get the idea. And unless I have the just really good partners, my concern is that they're going to want to have some influence over the show. And I already have a boss right now. I'm not looking for more bosses. I, I'm in a neat position now where I feel like I have a job. It provides financially for the family and the podcast is just extra. So I figure what the heck, you know, I'm in a position where I can kind of do whatever I want and I can roll the dice. And if it works great. And if it doesn't, well, that's okay too. I have a job. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And that's not to say I won't ever get an advertiser or a sponsor, um, it kind of just depends, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, so time will tell, but I can tell you this, if I do get a sponsor, it will be somebody who I would want to partner with. And I think would make sense. I think, you know, if I, I'm not going to throw anyone out there right now, I've already talked to people. People are interested in, uh, in being partnered up with the show. Um, but right now, like I said, I'm just focused on, I just want to grow it. You know, I want to see what it can be and this is how we're going to do it. All right. So first off merchandise, going to ramp up on shirts, hats, socks, stickers, patches, all that fun stuff. And, and really like try to grow the bikes or death brand. I bought the trademark. So I own bikes or death, uh, the trademark. Um, and I think that could be a really, a really neat way to generate some income and really spread that bikes or death message. Um, second Patreon, it's obvious, you know, but, uh, it's really where you see the value in what I'm doing. You understand that it takes me 30 to 40 hours to produce every single episode and you value the fact that not only am I spending my, my time, my energy and my money to produce a show, but you're getting it for free. No advertisers, nothing, just me talking. So if you, if you really see that value, then the Patreon makes sense. I, I don't care if it's a dollar. I've said this before. I don't care if it's a dollar, five or 10. I mean, obviously 10 is better, but I don't care if, if everybody that listened to this show did a dollar a month, I could just about make this my full-time gig. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't need a lot 
from a few people. I need a little bit from a lot of people and it's more better for everybody. The other one that I really like, I think is a great way to, um, to support the show is if you go to bikesordeath.com, you'll find an Amazon affiliate link. Uh, all you gotta do is click it, bookmark it on your desktop or your laptop or whatever. And every single time you buy something using that Amazon link, I'm going to get a little bit of cut from that. And I tell you right now, I mean, it's pretty sweet. Like people are already using it. I've made $33 and 67 cents, 21 orders, totals of total of $690 has been ordered and I get $33 and 67 cents. And I, I think that's sweet, you know, cause like you were going to buy that anyway, you were going to go through Amazon and I'm just the guy that sent you the link and I get a little bit. So, I mean, that's kind of like a no brainer, you know, um, another way. Okay. This next one is like the big crazy idea that I, I just had, and it's not even a fully formulated idea yet. Um, but I know enough about it to just go ahead and roll with it. All right. So in my real life, I'm a real estate agent and much like the Amazon affiliate link where I'm referring you to Amazon, um, in real estate, it's very common to refer a client or somebody that, you know, to another agent. So I'm going to start the bikes or death real estate referral program. Why not? I'll tell you why or why I should is I'm already a real estate. I'm already doing that. And if you are looking to buy or sell a home, literally anywhere in the world, all you have to do, I'm going to set up a form, uh, a form on my website where you can enter in all this information. But for now, um, like I said, I just had this idea. So for now, if you are going to be buying or selling a home in the near future, uh, shoot me an email at bikes at bikesordeath.com and I'll kind of walk you through the process. And even if like you already know what agent you want to use um, and just say, hey, Patrick, we're moving to Atlanta, Georgia, and we really like this agent. And we want to use her. I'll reach out to her. I'll let them know that I got a referral for them. They'll pay me a small part of the, the commissions. Again, it doesn't cost you anything. I'm just referring you to somebody else. And I think, it, honestly, like I thought about, it, I was like, man, I hope this doesn't come across as shady. But if you think about it, it's the same thing that you do with like an Amazon affiliate link. Or, you know, if you go to another podcast and there's a promo code to get 15% off of me undies or whatever. Well, if you think about that, me undies is paying for that advertisement. So that costs them money. Plus they're giving a discount for the referral. So that costs them money. So it, it's, it's the same thing. It's just that I think most people probably aren't aware of uh, real estate referrals, but it's very common. And in fact, some agents, they actually have a thing called a referral only agent, which you can't even practice real estate. The only thing you're allowed to do is refer them. So it's a really common practice and it would be a really good way for me to generate some pretty good income um, through listeners who are looking to buy or sell anyway. And again, one step closer to the dream job of podcasting full time. And um, yeah, 
that I mean that that would be the goal is <laughs> uh, is driving around in my van interviewing people right riding bikes. Um, oh yeah, and uh, I wanted to hop back to the uh, new merchandise real quick. Um, again, I want to give a huge thank you to Butt Crack Jenny on Instagram. Uh, she was freaking awesome. Uh, I, I loved her logo. I thought it was like fun, but had the death and the bikes. And I mean, it all kind of like made sense, at least in my mind. Um, and then like afterwards, I was asking her to tweak stuff and try different stuff and give me, you know, like I, I'm not very creative. Um, I can't picture things. And so I was a huge pain in the ass. So like, Hey, can you do these? And blah, blah. anyway, she was like so nice and was, I just felt like guilty cause I knew, um, I knew she wasn't getting paid. I know, but I mean, she was like super happy to do it and it was her way to support the show and I get it. Um, and I, I'm grateful. I'm super grateful. And I asked her if there's anything I could do for her, give her a shout on the show. And she said, yes, um, her and her husband organize a couple events in Michigan. So if you're in that area, around that area, um, they organize the Michigan Gravel Race Series and the um, Fargo Sub 48. And anyway, if you just want to, I mean, they're easy to find. Google it. It's either the Michigan Gravel Ride Series or Fargo Sub 48. And yeah, if you're in the area, go support them because they're supporting me. And that's that's the way the world works. That's the way the world should work. All right. Well, listen, I think that's about I think that's good. I'm sure I forgot something and I'll think about it whenever I'm editing it and I'll think about going back and adding it and I'll be too lazy and I'll try to do it the next time. Um, but let me leave you with this. The next time you're in front of your computer and somebody posts something on Facebook that you disagree with, and you start typing, just walk away. Walk away and go ride your damn bike. Shut the fuck up and be happy. <laughs>